0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 11 as we study about the people building the Tower of Babel and what they were really like at that time, what their interests, goals, and aspirations in life were, and what their direction was. Now, Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on Friendship with God, has sent out 110 missionaries going out to 14 U.S. and Canadian cities to reach Jewish people with the gospel. Now, we've got materials from Tom Cantor, his life story on DVD, his written testimony, and 34 frequently asked questions by Jewish people, and 194 prophecy and fulfillments. All these materials that are going out as gifts to the Jewish people. Now, if you'd like to support Jewish evangelism with a donation of $40 or more to Israel Restoration Ministries and the Friendship with God radio program, we'll send you Tom Cantor's DVD and his combination book of his testimony, Frequently Asked Questions, and Prophecy and Fulfillments for, again, a donation of $40 or more. So call us at 800-247-3051 to get these materials for a donation of $40 or more and support Jewish evangelism. Again, 800 800- Two four seven thirty fifty one, eight 247 3051 800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org to support this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism outreach ministry, friendshipwithgod.org. Now here is our Bible teacher on friendship with God, Tom Cantor, as we study the book of Genesis. Father,
1: thank you so much that you are in instructing God And Lord, because you're instructing, we are a learning people. And so we pray, Lord, open the eyes of our understanding that we might learn and see our Lord Jesus Christ this morning as we we study here in Genesis. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you follow along here in this uh, account in Genesis 11, verse 1 through 9. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime, had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered upon the face of the whole earth." And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down. And there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build a city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because... The Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. All right, now, in our last study, remember how we saw in Genesis 10... By the way, I wanted to say before I start here that I finally figured out this morning what would happen if someone didn't set their clocks right. Remember last week I was confused whether they would be late or early. I now know they would be late, so... You, you, <laughs> you are they which have set your clock. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Sorry. Okay, let's get back to where we were, where we should be. All right, so last time we were in Genesis 10. And what did we see there? We saw described the lineages of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's what we saw. And from there, from here now, we're moving. This is, we're moving toward the calling of Abraham. That's where we're going. We're really headed. Obviously, we're in chapter 11. We're heading for chapter 12, but (laughs) great revelation. But it's moving toward the calling of Abraham. And what's happening here is that we're setting the backdrop. We already said last week how in Japheth, this is going to be the mission field for Abraham and his seed. But here we have a description of what the world was like as a backdrop before Abraham was called. So the last verse in chapter 10 explains to us that the genealogies of chapter 10, it says that in chapter 10, verse 32, these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations and their nations, and these were the nations that, that divided in the earth after the flood. See, that's what happened to all these people, but When we come to verse 1 here of chapter 11, that hasn't happened yet. In fact, we have a description here of the first civilization after the flood. And what we're going to be able to do as we study this chapter is to answer these questions. What were the people really like during that time? What were their interests? What were their goals? What were their aspirations in life? What do they want to accomplish? And And most importantly, what was the overall direction of these people? Where were they going? And so the first word in chapter eleven is an important word. It happens this word's all the time appearing. It's the word "and," because <laughs> "and" ties in this chapter. Chapter ten is tied in now with chapter eleven because this is a description of these of, of more about these descendants of the of Noah and all the men. So that means that when we start this account here in chapter eleven, we're talking about what happened. To all these men. And, there's, and, and like I said, it starts off here, and they're all moving together, right? They have a wagon master, and he yells wagons ho, and they all go forward. I don't know what happens. But anyway, the real important word to focus on in verse 1 is the word together. Because that word is used twice in this verse. It's a very important word. All men were together as one. So there's a very strong echadness. Remember the word echad? So there, is no, there is no word echadness. I just made that up, but it doesn't matter. But it's this, there's a strong togetherness, echadness. So the word echad means together as one. It means unity. That's the word that God used in the great Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4 to describe the Trinity. He said, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we're all echad. They were all together as one. And that was what Israel was to hear. And to understand the Lord our God's, as it should be, is one. Okay. So verse one expresses this strong unity among people. So that's why it says here they had an echad language and they had an echad speech. They had one and one. Literally, the whole earth. What it really says here is that the whole earth was of one lip. That's what it reads, and one words. So that's the words that are used here. Okay. So now. This means that there was one name for everything. On the surface, this means there was one name for everything, one name for some idea, one name for, some, for objects, and that's what constituted a unity of language. And so when you came to church this morning, you came in a car, not an automobile or an auto or a motor car. You came in a car, right? Anyway, you didn't call it a car. You called it a car. <laughs> so the word lip, the word lip, but though it goes farther than expressing just that just words and pronunciation it reaches the word lip reaches to thought it reaches to expression the lip is the porthole through which words come out and the bible uses the word lip to describe who the person is for example it says in psalm 12:3 it says that the lord shall cut off all flattering lips And the tongue that speaketh proud things. So the lip there is expressing a flatterer, a person who has flattering lips. On the other hand, in Proverbs 12, 19, it says, The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. So the man of truth is called a person with the lip of truth. So when it says the lip of truth is established forever, that means that the person who reflects truth who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the truth. That person is going to have eternal life. It'll be established forever. It says Moses, when God had ordered him to go speak to Pharaoh, he came back, Moses came back in one of his famous, I can't do it routines. In Exodus 630, he said to the Lord, I am a man of uncircumcised lips. And how shall, I, how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? So Moses in that place was like the prophet Isaiah who said, I am a man of unclean lips. And that was confessing his sin of, of having unclean or uncircumcised lips. I mean, He was an unclean, uncircumcised person. He viewed himself that way. He said he was a sinner is what they were saying. And so when it says in verse 1, the whole earth was of one lip and of one word, that means that they were all united. They were all on board. And so now you notice in verse 2 where it says they journeyed. It says that it came to pass as they journeyed from the east. That word journey literally means they pulled up the tent stakes. That's the same word that's used for the children of Israel when they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. That's the word. And it describes this kind of nomadic life that they had. These were the descendants of Noah. But there was something very different about these people compared to their forefather Noah. There was a certain restlessness to them. There was a certain uneasiness. There was an agitation inside them. There was no peace. There was no peace in them. And so they journeyed. They were moving. And that's a description. You could use that as a description. There was no peace. You know, God described this type of agitation in Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. You wanted to look at that, Isaiah 57, 20 through 21, where he describes this agitation inside. He says, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And then God concludes the whole matter by saying, there's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. That's a description of these men here in Genesis 11, no peace. No peace, and God says there's no peace to the wicked. Peace is not in the heart of the wicked. Now, when it says they're like the the waters that cast up mire and dirt, it means that there's confusion. There's no clear sight for the future, heaven and an eternal life with God. That's just confusing. That's sort of like I hope so type of wish. But it says here that this is a description of the wicked. And so we ask the question, who's the wicked? Well, Wicked is described, and you know, this verse in Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, when it says, the heart, the heart of man is deceitful. It doesn't say the heart of the wicked. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then God asks the question, who can know it? Who can know it? And then he answers the question in the next verse when he says, I, the Lord. In other words, God knows it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings.
0: We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, and we have our Jewish Evangelism Outreach Campaign that starts today and goes on throughout the entire summer to August 4th. Now, we've got 110 missionaries going out, delivering Tom Cantor's Life Story on DVD and a combination book of his personal testimony, Frequently Asked Questions, and Prophecy and Fulfillments. You can get these materials and support Jewish evangelism, and we'll send you a copy of the same materials these Jewish people are getting in their hands. Help reach lost Jewish people. Call us at 800-247-3051, 247 800-247- 3051. And for a donation of $40 or more, we'll send you these materials from Tom Cantor that we're reaching Jewish people with 800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org to donate and support Jewish evangelism.
1: So that verse is describing our heart. It's describing the heart of man. It's describing all men. It's our, it's my heart. It's your heart. It's our heart that is being described here. Desperately wicked. Not just wicked, but desperately wicked. Hopelessly wicked. Frantically wicked. Think of it that way. But before our hearts are described as desperately wicked, they're described as deceitful above all things. So the first description is deceitful above all things. And that kind of sets the stage for the second description of desperately wicked. So why does he have the description of the heart's In that order, number one, deceitful above all things. Number two, desperately wicked. Why doesn't it start with number one, desperately wicked, and number two, deceitful above all things? Because the Bible is saying... The heart is deceitful of all things, and I'll prove it to you. <laughs> Just watch this. <laughs> he says, the heart is deceitful of all things, and desperately wicked. And as soon as we hear the, de- the hearts are desperately wicked, we say, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> you know? And then the Bible says, see, I told you, it's deceitful above all things. Anyway, Jeremiah 17 describes why the wicked cannot rest. It describes why there is this disturbance. All the time inside, it trouble to see, because he can't find rest. Man can't find rest. It's impossible for man to find rest. He can't find rest when he sleeps. He can't find rest when he goes on vacations. He can't find rest. You just came back from a cruise. <laughs> he can't find rest on a cruise. Maybe you found rest, but you're not. Anyway, uh, he he can't find rest in his pleasures and his hobbies. He can't find rest and peace in alcohol. He can't find rest in illegal drugs, heroin and cocaine. He can't find rest in in legal drugs. He just can't find it. Who knew that in 1987, when the FDA gave approval for Prozac for a very small number of patients, who knew that a floodgate was going to be opened up so that today, one in four people in the U.S. are on a uh, psychotropic drug. And next to cholesterol-lowering drugs antidepressants are the most commonly prescribed uh, drug here in the U.S. So, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. There's There's an unavoidable, when it says it cannot rest, it's talking about an unavoidable agitation, an impossibility of finding rest. Why? Why is the wicked like the troubled sea? Why can't it rest? Why is there no peace? Because... It says in Proverbs 4.16, They sleep not, except they have done mischief. Their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. So there's no peace because there's like an addiction. We we have an addiction to sin. That's our problem. But also, when it says that the Lord searches the heart in Jeremiah 17.10, and and he tries the rain, and he says he searches it to give to every man according to his way. So what's that talking about? there's no peace and there's this terrible agitation because deep, deep down, everyone knows that judgment day is coming. Everybody knows that. And the Lord is searching the hearts and he's going to give to every man according to his way. So when the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned, and then in Ezekiel 18.4 that the soul that sinneth that shall die, and then the, and then the, the worst is Hebrews 9.27 that says it's appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment... That puts us all here on earth, without the Lord Jesus Christ, as living on death row. We're all on death row. Everyone knows that a crime deserves a punishment, so, so we're all on death row. It reminds me of um, Rabbi Yaakov, my friend. I told him that we're all in line to die, and he said, Yes, Tom, but that's one line the Jews will not cut in front of. <laughs> right? All right, Irene, in Israel, when you were in line for the banks... <laughs> And you used to get so frustrated. Anyway, so they won't cut in front of that line. All right. So, (laughs) but God wonderfully, God has made a way to get off death row and find peace. That's what the gospel is all about. It's all about that the crime was paid for in Isaiah 53, 5, that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes were healed. That's a very interesting phrase. The chastisement of our peace. The chastisement for our peace. The punishment so that we could have peace was on him. And that's how we get peace. Because all of the penalty fell on him. And therefore, we then, as it says in Romans 5, 1, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, because he, according to Colossians 1.20, made peace through the blood of his cross. All right, so last time we were in Genesis 10, and what did we see there? We saw described the lineages of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's what we saw. And from there, from here now, we're moving. This is, we're moving toward the calling of Abraham. That's where we're going. We're really headed. Why is the wicked like the trouble sea? Why can't it rest? Why is there no peace? Because it says in Proverbs 4.16, they sleep not except they have done mischief. Their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. So there's no peace because there's like an addiction we're, we, we have an addiction to sin. That's our problem. Now, notice in verse 2, where it says, "...they found, and they dwelt there." So now, it says, "...they found." What's that mean? That means that we're looking for something. They're always searching, looking for something. It's a big, big contrast between their forefather, Noah. Because Noah, he found, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but he was content with God. He found God, and he was content. So the first thing he looked forward to do when he got off the ark was to do those sacrifices to God. That was what made him happy, but not these. So they were searching and searching, and they come to this place, which is this plain called Shinar, which is a Babylonian word. It means a plain. Anyway, and they were looking for this plain, uh, for a plain like this. Not a hill, not a mountain, but they wanted a plain, and it was just perfect for what they wanted, their interests. And in that plane, they said they could set up a city, maybe farm a little bit. But most important, they wanted to build a tower. So it says at the end of verse 2, they dwelt there. They dwelt there. And again, they're still in unity. They found that they had found what they were looking for. And so now verse 3 says this phrase and verse 4, go to. Let us, go to, let us. And they said one to another. So the word's spreading. Go to, let us, make brick, burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, slime they had there for mortar. They said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name that we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth so that phrase go to let us it's like a a rallying phrase it's like you can feel this strong wave of enthusiasm and excitement and because they got in a vision now and this vision is like invigorating them it's giving them life and there's like this contagious decisiveness about it they got a plan And you can just feel all the animation as they're all getting together on this. Everyone's on board because something has been troubling them. And they felt that now they're going to overcome what was troubling them. Massive building project. What was troubling them? Well, we find out what was troubling them in verse 4. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. They were afraid of being scattered upon the face of the earth. They didn't want to be scattered on the face of the earth. Well, okay. Who would scatter them? Well, God had told Noah, and if you'll go back to that, you see that there. In Genesis 9, 7, he said to Noah, and you, speaking of Noah and all these people as well, came from Noah, be fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly. That's the word sharatz, very important word. Bring forth abundantly, shorats, in the earth and multiply therein. So when God told Noah to bring forth abundantly, that word that he used was very important because when you go back to Genesis 1.20, for the first use of that word, and 21, it was used twice, it was after the creation, Genesis 1.20, God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly, Sharatz. The moving creature that hath life and fowl may and fly above the earth upon the open firmament. God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly. Sharats, after their kind, after the winged fowl, and so forth. So, in other words, God told Noah to go out and sharats go out and do what fish do going all over the big ocean, a lot of water, don't stay one place, go all over the water. That's what the fish did, see? And overspread the earth. In other words, he was saying, break up and go in different directions, scatter. Don't everyone stay together. But man, at that time, knowing that God wanted them to spread out, so what did he do? (laughs) He decided to stay together. It's like me, you know? Don't touch the fire alarm. So what do I do? I touch the fire alarm. So God saying, He says, he says, S-sharat. He says, scatter. Go like, be like fish. Go out there. Sharat. Scatter. Scatter. Multiply. Go out for the earth. Sharat. Sharat. Scatter. And man says, what does man say? No, no. Echad. 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 We're going to stay together. We're going to stay together. <laughs> we won't scatter. We'll stay together. We won't do it. If you stay scattered, we'll stay together. And so the significance of verse 1 comes to view then when he has this word uh, echad used. This is frustrating for God. You know, God has a hard job. You know, he tells the fish, and they don't have any will, and they go do it. You know, man has a choice, and he doesn't do it. What can he do? So they stayed together, and they went for a place to stay together, and they weren't going to scatter. So they looked for this place, because when they were looking for this place, it was in defiance to God. It was to say, no, I'm not going to go do what you said to do. We're going to stay together. And that's why they were afraid that God would scatter them. They wanted to stay together. God told them, go break up. So they had this big obstacle in their way. I mean, what's bigger than God? <laughs> and so they, they, God was their obstacle. And so, so they were in this overcome obstacle mode.
0: Another wonderful day of Bible teaching here on Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and today marks the launch of the 2015 Summer Blitz campaign going out to 14 U.S. and Canadian cities with 110 Israel Restoration Ministries missionaries with Tom Cantor's materials of his life story as well as his Frequently Asked Questions book that answers 34 of the top Questions that Jewish people have, and a 194 prophecy and fulfillments of the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and of course, his written personal testimony. That's given out to the Jewish people. We'd like to give you a copy of that for a donation of $40 or more, which supports this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism campaign that launched today. Now get your copy of these materials by calling us now at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. 3051. Again, a donation of $40 or more will get you these materials, 800-247-3051. Or you can go online to donate and support Jewish evangelism at friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. friendshipwithgod.org. And IsraelRestoration.org. Now, there's got to be a group of believers who will stand up and say, no, never again will a Jewish soul slip into a Christless eternity. And all of the believers who have some part in that are going out on the summer blitz with our 110 missionaries from Israel Restoration Ministries who believe the Jewish people need to be evangelized and reached. Support Jewish evangelism and get Tom Cantor's DVD and his three books in one combination book for a donation of $40 or more, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, Reach the Jewish people. And again, for a donation of $40 or more, we'll send you all those materials from Tom Cantor, 800-247-3051. Or for more information, go to IsraelRestoration.org. Thanks for listening.